Good morning. Would you uh, join me in prayer, please? Lord, we come to you this morning. We just thank you for this opportunity to uh, be together uh, in strange ways, but in awesome ways. God, we thank you that we can open up your word today and hear uh, from, from you. We, we thank you that we get the opportunity to uh, hear songs and to sing songs about you and to you and the opportunity just to worship God. We thank you for that this morning. God, as we start this new series about men, I pray that um, you would put a new fire in all of us uh, as men, Lord, and that you would that we would come to just an encouragement and an appreciation today uh, that we maybe haven't had in a while. And uh, just thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for uh, the gospel and the saving grace that you give us, God. And we thank you for all those things this morning. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I will tell you real quick, right before we get started, that um, I do not have the scriptures on the screen this morning. So if you haven't, if you've gotten used to not having your Bible, grab your Bible or your phone, uh, and we will be in Judges 4. That way you'll be ready when we get to that. I would hate for you uh, to miss out, miss out on that opportunity. So uh, the perfect story, the perfect story, you may have heard it. There was a perfect man who met a perfect woman. After a perfect courtship, they had a perfect wedding. Their life together was, well, perfect. One snowy, stormy Christmas Eve, this perfect couple was driving along a winding road when they noticed someone on the roadside in distress. In distress, excuse me, being the perfect couple, they stopped to help. There stood Santa Claus with a huge bundle of toys, not wanting to disappoint any children. On the eve of Christmas, the perfect couple loaded Santa and his toys into their vehicle. Soon they were driving along delivering toys. Unfortunately, the driving conditions deteriorated, and the perfect couple and Santa Claus had an accident. Only one of them survived the accident. Who was the survivor? Well, the answer to this question is obvious. The perfect woman. She's the only one that actually existed in the first place in this story. Because everyone knows that Santa Claus doesn't ride in cars, and there's no such thing as a perfect man. Now, a male's response to that may be, well, if there's no perfect man and no Santa Claus in the car, the perfect woman must have been driving. No wonder there was an accident. That's just a joke, but hopefully you found it funny. Uh, (laughs) We are uh, starting a series called Men, starting it today, and we will carry that through until Father's Day. We will end this series on Father's Day. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of of men. That is the subject for today. And let's get a few things very clear right off the bat for today and for this series in general. This is not a men are more important than women series. This is in no way to disparage or raise the status of men over women. Some things we'll talk about today, there's some statistics and things like that. There are always uh, exceptions to examples, to norms, to averages. Uh, so if some of the statistics we discussed today uh, apply to you, they're, they're not certainties. They're just more likely to happen than others, statistically speaking. Hope is the point of today. Hope is the point of the day. Hope is the importance. Hope in, in the importance of men. Hope in the amount of things that can and will be affected positively by men being men. Hope is the Hope for today. So men, it's kind of like a story I read this week from Pastor Tony Evans. A little boy who watched his dad 
leave for a business trip and figured that he was now in charge. He had two sisters, so he announced to them after the father left that he was now the head of the family. That night at dinner, he decided to sit in his dad's chair. His mother was very impressed. The little boy was really trying. Well, the sisters, they didn't like it one bit. They reminded the boy that he was not the father and that he really didn't know what he was doing anyway. One of his sisters decided to corner her brother. If you're going to take dad's place, she said, then we'll present you with a family problem. See how you handle it. She manufactured a family problem and then asked him what he would do about it. The boy thought hard for a minute, and then he said, Well, I'm going to do what dad would do. Go ask your mother. Now, <laughs> now, this is funny because often it's very true. Over the next six weeks, I hope that we find it's not necessarily what's best and what we should do about it instead. So today, we're going to be looking at an event in the book of Judges, chapter 4. Uh, Deborah and Barak is usually how it's remembered. Now, in Judges, we're talking about a 300-year period in this book, from about the middle 1300s B.C. to almost 1000 B.C. It starts with a generation right after Joshua's generation. So the first generation to actually live in the promised land of Israel. So just real quick, Moses, just to remind you, Moses and the exodus from Egypt, they wander around for 40 years for disobedience. Then Joshua takes over after Moses and leads the Israelites into the land of Canaan, the promised land to, that was promised to Abraham, and they take over and move in. Then we have the period of the judges. That's where we are historically uh, in, in this event today that we're looking at in Judges. And in this period, the period of the judges, the time of the judges, there's a very distinct cycle for the nation of Israel. There's a very distinct cycle that happens over and over throughout this book. The people of Israel would stray from God. An enemy nation would oppress them. They would cry to God for deliverance. God would raise up a deliverer or a judge. They would serve God faithfully for a while, and then they would start the cycle all over again. We call it the time of the judges, but really it's kind of the story of human beings. That's kind of what we still do to a certain extent to this day. Okay, so that's the pattern for the entire book of Judges, and we're going to pick up on that in chapter 4. Verse 1 says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead, so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabed, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Heresh Hagoyim, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipideth, was leading or judging Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have, her dis to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and, then, and lead them up to the Mount of Tabor. I will lead Sisera, this is God talking through Deborah, to, uh, to Barak. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. 
Verse 8, check this. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Now we see Israel has done evil in the sight of the Lord. So God has raised up a female judge, a woman judge for Israel. This is an important indication of the state of Israel at this time. To have a, a woman judging over them would have been shameful during this time in history in this area of the world. It's really a slap in the face of the men of Israel because they weren't being the men. So God was having to use other, other ways. Deborah calls up Barak and says, hey, it's time to go to war. God has told me, remember she's a prophetess, God has told me it's time to battle and God's got this. I'm going to lure them in, and I'll hand them over to you. I'll take care of it, God says through Deborah. And look at Barak's manly response in verse 8. Well, I'll go if you go. I'll, I'll go if you go. Such strong faith and courage. Okay? I'm being so sarcastic right now. Deborah says, okay, I'll go. But a woman will get the honor for this victory instead of you, Barak. A man, a woman will get the honor for this. They summon up the volunteers from the six tribes. The other men in the tribes found excuses, and they head out to battle. Now, to summarize the story, it gets reported to Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army for the Canaanites, that Barak and his men are in the Wadi Kishon, a valley of the Kishon River. Now, it doesn't tell us what time of year it is, or when exactly this took place. But it's safe to assume it was during the dry season, which was about March to September in this area, uh, or Sisera would not have brought his men in and his 900 chariots into the valley to meet Barak for what should be an easy victory. So it's, it's a time of year where it, this should be a good time for battle, otherwise Sisera wouldn't, wouldn't take the initiative to, go, initiative to go. It should be an easy victory for them. But God, those two words, man, they can change things. But God, God brings a storm that swells the normally small Kishon River and it spills over into the valley. Now, Baal, being the Canaanites' false god of rain, and the Canaanites being superstitious pagans, would definitely have confused or thrown into chaos uh, the Canaanites thinking Baal had turned on them or that the Hebrew God was stronger than Baal, not to mention the logistical nightmare of chariots trying to ride through a muddy valley. They were useless, and they are defeated. But what about Deborah? What about what Deborah says to Barak? A woman will get the honor because he wouldn't just man up. Pick it back up in verse 16. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Heresheth Heguyim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. God delivered them into his hand, like he said. Verse 17, Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazer, and the family of Heber the Kenite. So there's an alliance between this guy Heber. Heber, it says in verses earlier, is basically a distant relative of Moses. So he is part of the Israelites, but he's really more on the Canaanite side. And 
it doesn't, all it says is that they've moved close to where the battle is. It doesn't say why, it doesn't say anything else. It almost seems out of place as you're reading through there until you get to this point. And so there's uh, Jael's tent that Sisera has made his way into. Picking back up verse 18. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with the blanket. Now, first of all, to go into another man's wife's tent was a big no-no okay so he's invited in for one and he knows by going in there no other men are probably going to come in there because that was something you just did not do in this culture but he did do it she covered him with a blanket verse 19 i'm thirsty he said please give me some water she opened up a skin of milk gave him a drink and covered him up he says stand in the doorway of the tent he told her if someone comes by and asks you is anyone in there say no But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. Wow. Brock, he was scared. Jael, nope. This is a great victory for Israel. A wonderful example of God's grace for women. And a terrible example of male leadership. If the men won't do their job, God is more than willing and capable to find women who will. Now, today's not a bash men session. I had someone ask me yesterday, do I need to wear my steel toe shoes? I said, actually, no, this is, should be encouraging. This is not a men are doing a terrible job type of message. It's not, it's not what I want you to hear. It's not, it's not what I'm saying, so I hope it's not what you hear. But that is a ba- an example of bad male leadership, of how to not be a man. Now let's look at two verses that are so easy to overlook that give a starkly different example of a man. First in chapter 5, Verse 6, near the beginning of the Song of Deborah. This is after the great victory, and there's a Song of Deborah. And songs back then were were ways to help uh, memorize and memorialize uh, things that had happened in history. So there's a Song of Deborah, and it says near the beginning of that, In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the the highways were abandoned. Travelers took took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates, but not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel, the fighters going to fight. My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers, the willing volunteers among the people, praise the Lord. Now, from that song... There's a little more detail from from just the explanation of the battle and what takes place. Excuse me. Their weapons had been confiscated by the Canaanites. The Israelites had no weapons of war. And it says they were traveling the back roads, not the main roads. So there's a pretty scary setting set here. They weren't traveling the main roads. You do that when you're scared that you're going to get caught. And they didn't have any weapons. Okay, That's a dangerous thing now. That was a very dangerous thing in 1300 B.C., uh, 3,300 years ago. 
You definitely would not want to be traveling without weapons. You were very exposed. It was a lot more dangerous, a lot more violent time than it is now, no matter how much we try to convince ourselves right now is a very dangerous, scary time. So it was a tough and scary time to be in Israel. And in verse 6, it mentions a guy by the name of Shamgar. Now, let's check out who this guy is. That he would be named in the song of Deborah, right next to Jael. She is obviously a hero. We've just seen what Jael did to displace the, to, to kill the commander of the Canaanites. Who is he? Look back at the last verse of chapter 3, right before we're, we get to the beginning of Deborah in chapter 4. Chapter 3, verse 31. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He, too, saved Israel. That's it. Shamgar gets two verses, one in Deborah's song mentioning him alongside of Jael, and this one, two verses in all of Scripture mention this guy, Shamgar. It says, after Ehud, Ehud was the previous judge. So the judge that had brought Israel back to the cycle, back to honoring God, he's now dead. And then came Shamgar. doesn't say he's a judge. doesn't say he's a leader. He's not a prophet. He's just a dude. He's a dude without a weapon of war, Deborah's song tells us. He's got an ox goad, an ox goad, basically a long cattle prod. It's a pole that was about eight foot long with a metal tip, and you used it to prod the animal, to pull the plow, to direct the animal, to get him to go. It's an ox goad, an ox goad, cattle prod. And somehow, this guy is responsible for taking out 600 evil enemies of Israel. Now, there's some things it doesn't say that we can assume, and there's some things it doesn't say that we can assume. It doesn't say if this was all at one time or not. Probably not. Shamgar probably didn't face 600 soldiers of Canaanites and kill them all at once with an ox goad. It doesn't say that, and that, wouldn't be, that probably wouldn't be what took place. It doesn't say exactly when or why although we know it's along the same time of Deborah being around. It doesn't even tell us anything about Shamgar. But I'll tell you what it does say without saying it. Shamgar was a man. Shamgar had courage. Shamgar had initiative. He initiated. Shamgar protected. Shamgar provided. Shamgar was a warrior. Shamgar, one ordinary man using only what he had available to him and a willing spirit, saved Israel. That's what it says. He, too, saved Israel. This one ordinary dude, using the one thing he had available to him and a willing, faithful spirit that God would provide, saved Israel. Now, in a world full of Baraks, be a Shamgar. In a world full of men that are kind of there, they're kind of willing, they're kind of ready. They're kind of courageous. Be a Shamgar. Be ready. Be willing. Be courageous. Look at the importance of one man being a man. He gets two verses, yet in that last part of that verse, it says that he, too, saved Israel. Men matter. So, let's look at some ways that men 
matter now. This is Memorial Day weekend. Okay? It's almost gotten lost since our, our, our time and schedule and all that's all mixed up from everything that's going on. It's almost, it's almost hasn't, I haven't heard near as much about it as I normally do. It, it's strange how that's happened, but we know that Memorial Day is, a, is an important day to set aside time to, to thank those that have given their life uh, in battle for our country. U.S. servicemen, that's what it comes from. 1.35 million U.S. military soldiers have died during combat. Combat, collectively, all the combat, all the uh, all the wars and, and and elements of combat, all the things that have happened. One about 1.35 million servicemen have died protecting or advancing our freedoms. Nearly all of those 1.35 million are men. In 2017, the fatality rate, sorry, for men in work-related fatalities was about 10 times that of women. In 2017, the fatality rate for men in work-related fatalities was about 10 times that of women. You say, why is that? Well, the five most dangerous occupations, according to that 2015 Bureau of Labor Statistics, were commercial fishing, lodging, military's not on there, but if it were in there, it would be third, aircraft pilots, and roofers. You can see, when you look at that chart, how much of the percentage of those jobs are done by men. Men represent more than 90% of the workers in 14 of the top 20 most dangerous occupations, and more than 85% of the workers in 18 of the 20 most dangerous jobs. Why is that? Well, biologically, on average, men are twice as strong as women in their upper bodies. Again, this is on average. And socially, men are more prone to take risks on average. There are jobs that must be done that give us our modern-day standard of living. Look at those, that list and all the things that come that give us peace and comfort and well-being, our modern-day standard of living. And men, by far and away, are most interested and most suited for those jobs. In the United States, men are three and a half times more likely than women to die from suicide. Men are three and a half times more likely to die than women from suicide. Now, that's even in spite of the fact that women are more likely to experience negative emotions. According to psychological studies, that, that tons of psychological studies they've done. But the reason why is because men often feel pressure and shame from how well or how well they don't assume the role of provider and protector that they naturally feel as a man and that society puts pressure on them to be that provider and protector. Men are 70% of the homeless, 70% of the homeless in the United States. Men, this is not hard to understand, are less agreeable than men, naturally by personality trait. Unfortunately, that makes us 15 times more likely to be incarcerated. That, that personality trait agreeableness is the number one personality trait predictor of criminal behavior. So men are 15 more like, times more likely to be in jail for doing something that is dumb that they shouldn't have done because they just want to get along. Sometimes being disagreeable is a good thing, sometimes not so much. Now, let's look at some importance of fathers. So that's a good example of the importance of men. Uh, the importance of father involvement. 39% 
If you have, a, if you have children who grew up with involved fathers, they're 39% more likely to earn mostly A's in school, 45% less likely to repeat a grade, 60% less likely to be suspended or expelled from school, two times as likely to go to college and find stable employment after high school, 75% less likely to have a teen birth, 80% less likely to spend time in jail. Continuing, dads are important. Children growing up without fathers face greater risk and account for 90% of homeless and youth runaways, 71% of high school dropouts, 63% of youth suicides. You can see there where that site is coming from. Just the facts. Individuals from father-absent homes are 279% more likely to carry guns and deal drugs than peers living with their fathers. Excuse me. Just the facts. Involved dads improve their children's overall emotional and social well-being. That's not just a platitude. That's a statistical fact, according to several government agencies that have studied this. Just the facts. Children with involved dads are less likely to be mistreated. I looked into several statistics on this, and it blew me away how much more often kids without involved fathers in their lives are mistreated. Women are Almost three times, it was two point something times more likely to mistreat their kids than fathers, which floored me. You wouldn't think that would be the case. But in almost all of those situations, it was a single mother, and you can do the math, trying to provide, stressed out, having to perform all the household duties without a man around, yada, 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 the story goes on and on. So children without involved dads are less likely to be mistreated. I believe it was 60% less likely. Just the facts, children living in female-headed homes with no spouse present have a poverty rate of 47.6%, over four times the rate for children living with married couples. So you are four times more likely to raise a child in poverty if you raise a child without the father present, without a married couple. And that that statistic uh, holds out even if uh, the original couple divorces, but the father is still involved in the child's life. So without things being the way they are supposed to be, things don't work. I know that's a big shocker, but that is the way it goes. Now, what about in church? What about men in church? A study from Hartford Seminary found that the presence of involved men was statistically correlated with church growth, church health, and church harmony. Meanwhile, a lack of male participation is strongly associated with congressional decline. Religious participation leads men to become more engaged husbands and fathers. Teens with religious fathers are more likely to say they enjoy spending time with their dad and that they admire him. Churchgoers are more likely to be married and express a higher level of satisfaction with life. Church involvement is the most important predictor of marital stability and happiness. Catch that, church involvement, not church attendance. That's key. Church attenders, it's about the same as the world. People that are involved in church, the likelihood of their marriage ending in divorce is significantly lower than those that are not involved in church. 93% of the time, this is a big one, 93% of the time, if the man in the family gets saved first, the whole family gets saved compared to 17% of the time if it's the wife first, and 3.5% of the time if it's the child first. 
93% of the time, an entire family will end up coming to faith if the father gets saved first. Men matter. Men have an, have an, they have a role to play. Excuse me, I couldn't get that out. Men have a specific, there's the word I was looking for, men have a specific role to play in this world. God has given us a specific role. What we cannot, should not, and hopefully will not do is abdicate, step away from, be passive in fulfilling that role and give it to someone else, like Barack. What we need to do what most of the time a lot of men in this church do, what we must continue to do, and what we must do even more often than we ever have is be shamgars. Be ready, be willing, be courageous, and fulfill the roles that God has given us, which is what we're going to talk about next week, the role of man. So men are important. Statistically speaking, to God, to the people around them, in a world full of Baracks that are just kind of playing the role, be a Shamgar. Step up and be a man. We thank you for being here today. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll be heading out. Uh, I've had people ask about shirts, so uh, if you're interested in getting one of these shirts, we have a blue one also. We have them in the office. Uh, just let us know. They are $15. That's what they cost. That's the cost of them. Um, so if you want one, let us know, and we'll be happy to take care of that for you. I'm going to pray for us. I love you. And thank you, uh, guys, that are doing your role well. And let's continue to do that even more so. Be a Shamgar. God, we pray for you. We, we, we come to you today. We pray to you. And we thank you uh, for your love, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you for all of the blessings that you give us, God. We thank you for uh, the opportunity to be together this morning. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And we thank you for Jesus, who was the ultimate example of a man. And the saving grace that you give us, God, to allow us to come to you with faith in Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. God, we thank you for that. We pray that those that don't know that would come to know and submit to that truth. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray that you'll be with us as we go out about our lives, fulfilling the roles you've given us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great day.